Welcome to Simply PM&R, a Mayo Clinic Talks production, the simple solution for physical medicine and rehab healthcare professionals trying to keep up while on the go. I'm your host, Jeff Bro, physiatrist and PMR at Mayo Clinic. Pediatric rehabilitation is a growing field within our specialty. For those of us who don't treat pediatric patients and treat mainly adults, we're a little nervous working with the little kids. These patients are not just little adults and have very specific rehabilitation needs and goals. Today we're joined by Dr. Amy Robotin, a colleague at Mayo Clinic and a physiatrist specializing in pediatric rehabilitation and is fellowship trained in sports medicine. She works within the Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. Thanks for joining us today, Amy. Thank you. So tell me, how does one become a pediatric rehab doctor? Sure. Um, so the um, after medical school, you do a regular uh, physical medicine and rehabilitation residency, which is typically four years. And then um, fellowship after that, which is two years. Um, there are other ways to go about it through pediatrics. So you can do a joint um, pediatric and um, pediatric physical medicine rehabilitation um, program, but um, the typical way is to go through residency and then two years of fellowship. So you could could potentially be pediatric and PM&R pediatric rehab. That's correct. Wow, mm-hmm. interesting. So what, what type of patients does a pediatric rehab specialist see? Sure, um, the best ones. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, we see a wide range of diagnoses and conditions um, from musculoskeletal conditions to brain injury to um, spinal cord injuries to neuromuscular disorders um, to um, just an array of musculoskeletal conditions, um, developmental delay. Um, in my particular um, area of interest, I'll see kids with sports injuries as well. Sports pediatric rehab. My understanding is you are probably one of two of that specialist in the country right now. Is That's that correct. Wow. <laughs> <clears throat> there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. We have a real, real, real specialist. <laughs> So one of the things that we've noticed, not only in the American population, but also in children with disabilities, is the epidemic of obesity. Mm-hmm. How do you talk to parents about exercise with a patient or a child with who is disabled? Yeah. So um, you're exactly right. It's a, it's a huge problem. And according to the CDC, um, kids with disability are 38% more likely to be obese wow. than um, the um, kind of kids with typical development. Um, so that's a pretty high percentage. Um, children the children with disabilities, um, it's important to keep in mind that their sedentary activity is going to potentially um, cause issues longer term, earlier cardiovascular health issues, early um, joint pain, earlier musculoskeletal conditions that you might see in a person that's later on in life. Um, so it's important to kind of keep that in mind. But you can lecture a child on that. You can lecture a parent on that, but that doesn't get you anywhere. And I think it's really important to find out what is interesting to that child. Um, so, um, so find out what they're, what they'd like to do. If they could do any sport or they could do any activity in the world that isn't sitting in front of a television or a computer, what would they do? And then try to kind of capitalize on that. Um, I think it's also important to help them understand that um, it's a recommendation for all kids. So the CDC and the World Health Organization actually recommend um, 60 minutes of physical activity every day for every kid. Mm. 
And um, so we've got to think about different ways to getting about that. So it's kind of motivational interviewing. So what's what are they interested in? How do they think that could happen? Um, how as a family could they get to that goal? Um, so those are kind of important things to think about. Yeah, I would think that'd be very important. How does a how does a parent's exercise or activity level influence a disabled child's yeah. activity level? Yeah, so there um, there's not a lot of great research out there on this. There's um, research in terms of kids that are typically developing. There's research in terms of maybe specific disabilities that um, parents influence. So for example, there's um, some studies out regarding kids with intellectual disability and um, obesity. And there is a study that says if their parents' BMI, if their parents thought about their BMI, so their parents exercised and had a lower BMI, those children actually exercised more and had a lower BMI. And one could think about is that because they're making different health choices with food, are they exercising as a family? Um, and then there's other perceptions that have been studied in terms of um, kids with typical development. So their parents influence um, their choices based on what transportation they have, um, what barriers to physical activity, are there financial barriers, those kinds of things. So there's um, a lot of parental influence on that, but we don't quite understand that very well in kids with disability because there's a lot of other things going on in that home as well, which can make it more challenging. So that's um, an area that we're actually researching right now. I would think with kids with uh, mobility issues that maintaining a a lower BMI would make things a little more easy for not only the, the, the child, but also the parents. Absolutely. So if you think about, you know, what happens when you gain weight, right? Um, it's harder to just move, right? And then if you're dependent on somebody to help you move, that's going to be even harder. So there's a lot of, um, we think about kids who are obese and kids who start to, um, to have lower levels of activity, they show a decline in function faster than kids who are more active with disability. Are you a physiatrist preparing for your upcoming PM&R Part 2 oral boards? Do you need to brush up on your examination skills? Through a combination of didactic lecture, case vignettes, optional mock oral examinations, and online modules, the PM&R board review course can help guide your preparation. This vital course will be held on the historic Mayo Clinic campus in downtown Rochester, Minnesota every spring, just prior to the American Board of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation oral examinations. For complete course information and to receive an email when registration is open, visit ce.mayo.edu slash PMR. talking about activity um, it seems like there's a lot more adaptive sports available to yeah. disabled children can you can you tell us about some of the ones that are available sure so there's there's a lot um, and there's even some programs um, so I think you know it's always needing to ask that question and I think that that's the most important thing to do is ask what's available in the community, ask what's available at the school. Um, so kids with disability can be integrated into a, a soccer field of kids with typical development. Um, so I don't think there should ever be a barrier or someone to say they can't do that because they have a disability. So I think it's an important um, question to ask of, you know, what can we do? But so there's adaptive soccer. Um, there's for example, here in Rochester, we have Miracle League, which is um, a base baseball and softball for these kids. Um, wheelchair basketball, 
very fun, very hard. I think it's harder than basketball, um, not in a wheelchair. Um, there's sled hockey, which is really fun, um, and fast and amazing athletes play sled hockey. Um, if you think about the Paralympics, you know, like all of the sports that happen in the Paralympics. So there's, um, you can even do the duathlon, you know, so there's cross country skiing, there's sit skiing. I mean, it goes on and on. So I think, and even kids that, um, have a limb deficiency, um, there's kids wrestling. If you, if you Google wrestlers with limb deficiency, you're going to see some really amazing athletes. Um, so I think, we, we, we bring that restriction or we bring that, that bias of, they, of that it's not available. It's out there. Are there any special consideration? And I mean, this is a big question. Yeah. But things you have to worry about, uh, certain children with certain disabilities shouldn't be playing certain sports. Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. And so I think it's really important to understand what their underlying disability is. So, for example, in a kid with Down syndrome, you might think about axioatlantal instability. Um, so... You might choose a different sport for them. Probably not a great idea to have them diving or playing some kind of impact sport, that kind of thing that maybe would put them at risk. So those, But those are conversations that you have with the family and with the patient, depending on what's going on. Um, things to think about. Uh, if you have a kid who's an overhead athlete and they're also in a wheelchair. So let's say they're, you know, baseball pitching or they're javelin throwing or whatever the case may be. So they've got that overhead motion and all of a sudden they have a shoulder injury and they self propel their wheelchair. That's cause, you know, so we really have to think, um, we have to think injury prevention. That's a really important concept to, to um, convey to these kids and their parents. So I would think exercise specific to a sport would help with that. Totally. Yep. Do you have recommendations? How often should these kids, I mean, be exercising specifically for a sport? Yeah, so um, I think the again, back like we talked about earlier, so those recommendations is 60 minutes of moderate to vigorous physical activity every or five days a week, and then strength training two to three times per week. Um, and so granted, you have to kind of modify that depending on what the kid's ability is. And so that's where you work with the parent and the physical therapist or occupational therapist on what all that is. But the, the goal would be that is... And I would think with our colleagues in physical therapy and occupational therapy, we could basically adapt anything, anything, anything. to make anything. Yep, possible. get creative. That's I good. mean, you Google it. I mean, the people are so creative, you know. And so, it, yes, if you want to do it, you can figure out a way. You know, one of the concerns is, you know, in sports in general, is the increase incidence or identification of concussion mm -hmm. how do you how do you test for someone who has cognitive impairment or you know, how, how do you know if they've had a concussion sure right um and it's really hard uh so i think things that you have to think about is you know the test that we would normally use for a kid so king divic impact testing um the scat five all of these things that we typically would test in a child and have a baseline, and then when they get a concussion, then you can say, where are they at compared to their baseline? These kids might not be able to do that. There might be visual impairment. There might be cognitive impairment. Um, they might have balance. If there's a limb deficiency, their balance isn't gonna be the same. You know, If they have um, cerebral palsy, their balance isn't gonna be the same. And so um, things, what we're recommending right now, and there really isn't, there aren't recommendations sure. out there, but um, in the conversations that we're having and in the papers that are being written and then the research that's going on is really having a good baseline on these children. So 
before they start their sport, understanding what their balance looks like, understanding what some version of the SCAT 5 may look like. So I think you're going to see a lot of that change over time because people are getting so much more, so um, much more active. Um, and the, fre- the frequency of concussion is occurring. I mean, sled hockey, kids are getting concussed and they're not getting diagnosed with it. They're underdiagnosed. And so we have to get better at that through education and through research into getting those kind of baseline tests for them. Great. Recently, I heard there was a new drug out for spinal muscular atrophy. Mm-hmm. What does it do and how does it work and what do we know about it? Yeah, yeah. So um, Spinraza is the brand name. Nusinersen is the um, generic name. And um, so spinal muscular, at- spinal muscular atrophy, um, autosomal recessive um, neuromuscular disorder, they have progressive muscle weakness um, and atrophy. And so there's, um, it's a genetic mutation. And so there's this gene uh, that produces uh, protein. And there's a second gene that produces a similar protein, but just not as great of a protein. And so we test these children to find out what, pro- what genes they have. And how the drug works is the drug is trying to replicate the protein that's made by the second gene. So it's not as effective as it would be from the first gene, but it's some version of this protein that can help with um, muscular, with weakness and atrophy. So I could see this opening up a door for a lot of other types of conditions that we treat with genetic causes. There's a, yes, it is. Yeah. Genetic therapy, you know, things that are based on gene therapy are really kind of changing, changing how we see these, um, these disorders or conditions, and hopefully we'll change them with time. As a general physiatrist out in primary physiatric care practice, when when is it appropriate to refer someone to a peds rehab specialist? Mm -hmm. I would say anytime. (laughs) I mean, we're happy to see them. Um, You know, but I think anytime you're thinking, gosh, is there a developmental delay or something's not right? Um, I think those are important we, we need to answer those questions for these kids so that we can um, help them with their development and their function over life. I'd rather say, yep, this kid's totally fine than not see them at all. Fair enough. We've been talking about pediatric rehabilitation with Dr. Amy Rubatin, a colleague at Mayo Clinic and a physiatrist specializing in pediatric rehab. Thank you, Amy, for your time. Thank this you. has been fantastic. Yeah, thanks so much. Today's episode was sponsored by Mayo Clinic Online CME, offering on-demand medical education in a wide variety of specialties. This includes the Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation Online Board Review course. Enter your boards with confidence, whether it's your first time through or for recertification. Learn on your own time and earn credit. Register today at ce.mayo.com edu slash PMR BR online.